Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a crowd podcast. David Bowie is ill. David Bowie is dying and no one knows it. No journalists, no fans, not the musicians he's played with down the years on the big hits and the huge live shows. Not the record company, the old rock stars he sung with, parted with, slept with. Just the chosen few. His wife, his grown-up son, his younger daughter, a handful of others, all sworn to secrecy. It's the day after his 69th birthday. Early January 2016, New York City. The day before, he's released his final record. An album that's strange and warm and unsettling and comforting all at the same time. That sounds different to anything he's done before, but familiar too. Like it always is with Bowie. Like it always was. He's had liver cancer for the last year and a half. Two months ago, after rounds of chemo or feeling weary, wasted, they said to him, this is the end. Stop the treatment. Get yourself ready. So he's at his house on Lafayette Street, Lower Manhattan. A fine old building, an old chocolate factory from two centuries back. His apartment high up, views across the city. There's a kitchen, dark brown cupboards and silvery tiles. The library, cosy with wooden floor and tall windows and all his books. The terrace, curtains around it. Cushions, a little roof to keep prying eyes away. This time, he's in the bedroom. Dark, polished floor, pale brown rug. And he's thinking. What he knows is coming. What he's leaving behind, where he's come from, what he's lived through. He sent the emails now, written the letters. One to his old friend and producer, Brian Eno. Not saying what he's going through, not saying goodbye, just a little tongue-in-cheek clue, a little final game of guess what and guess who. Thank you for our good times, Brian. They will never rot. That's the final sentence. Would you recognize him now? Maybe not. The hair, that beautiful thick hair, always perfect, 
dyed orange or white or red fell out during his chemo. He's always been thin, always sharp cheekbones, hips that poke out. Now he's reduced, big eyes, white teeth. And he's been rushing, rushing to get songs recorded, videos made, plays performed. A life that's been about reinvention, about creativity, about working out who you are, what you want to say, about control of image and intent. All those wild incarnations, those costumes, the makeup, the poses, all those characters he becomes. Ziggy Stardust, the thin white duke, the man who fell to earth. Now, it's time for the final performance, the last great artistic move, the person he's been, the man he is, the ultimate stage exit. This is Death of a Rockstar, David Bowie. Some breaking news this morning. It's been confirmed that David Bowie died at the age of 69. Breaking news out of London. Entertainer David Bowie has died. It's one of those, do you remember where you were when you heard the news moments? It was not publicly known at all, so we're still waiting for more details. David about... Bowie had been quietly battling cancer. His final album released just days ago. You look at Bowie sometimes and you think it must have all been so easy. So many ideas, so many melodies, not caring what the mainstream thought, finding the margins and living out there while others are scared, lonely. So now he looks out of his bedroom window at the towers of Manhattan, at the clear winter skies, and he remembers how it's never been easy. How he forms his first band when he's 15 years old, 1962 when no one's heard of the Beatles, when men have short hair, when young men dress like old men. How he changes his name when he's 19 because there's already a Dave Jones making it big in the monkeys. How he looks cool, starts releasing records and no one buys any of them. It all takes so long with Bowie. 1969 and still no one's buying. When he tours with Mark Bolan and T-Rex, it's not as a headliner. He's not even a singer. He's third on the bill. He's a mime act. But when it happens, whoa, it really happens. Going to the States for the first time when he's found the first look that works, the first sound. Wearing a dress on the album cover the man who sold the world. Wearing a dress when he's being interviewed, when he's walking down the street. One journalist says, he's beautiful. He looks like Lauren Bacall. Other people just laugh. One man in the street pulls a gun and says, kiss my ass. Throws in a couple of slurs for good measure. Cause you travel the world, but you're always British. Your own version of quaint England, eccentric England, strange England. Glamour, there's none of that when it starts. When he's Ziggy for the first time, with the orange spiky hair and the splashes of colour across his face, they're at a Toby Jug pub in a part of South London, a long way from the city. And he has to cut his own path, make his own name. 
He tours for six months solid at small places, bigger places, places where they want to hate you but end up screaming your name. The first time he's on top of the pops, 20 million people are watching at home. Mums, dads, grannies, the cool kids, the lost kids, the outsiders. Bowie's looking like an alien, a man dressed as a woman, maybe a woman dressed as a man, singing Starman, throwing an arm around Mick Ronson, his guitarist, like they're friends, like they're something else too. Kids at home think, maybe I'm not alone. Maybe there are other people like me out there. So Bowie sits here in his New York apartment and travels again to Berlin, where he goes to clean up in the late 70s. His little place on Hauptstrasse, the small studio on Kirchnerstrasse near the Berlin Wall, the recording sessions with Eno, the nights out with Iggy Pop. He travels to Montreux in Switzerland, hanging out with Nile Rogers from Chic, messing around with demos for Let's Dance, maybe the biggest hit of all. And that's the thing, however he looks, whatever he does, there's always the hits. The Glam Years, Life on Mars, The Jean Genie, Thin White Duke, there's Young Americans and Fame, Berlin, Sound and Vision and Heroes. You can sing them all, we all can. Bowie sits in New York and he remembers. He remembers the highs and he remembers the lows. The times those characters took him over. The times he began to think, who is David Bowie after all? When he's Ziggy on stage, it feels better than being himself at home. When he's in control, singing and feeling like a robot. When he's at home. When it goes sour and dangerous. When he begins to think, am I losing my mind? The chaos when he's on tour in the US in 74, when he's not just skinny, but disappearing. There's a fly floating around in my milk. There's a foreign body in it, you see, and he's getting a lot of milk. It's kind of how I feel. When he's not just pale, but barely there at all. Fun? It's addiction now. It's paranoia. It's forgetting why you're doing all of this. He's on British TV, a live interview done by satellite, London to LA. Are you there, David Bowie? Yes. Except just before they go on air, Spanish dictator General Franco dies. The government say, we need this satellite now. The world needs to know. And Bowie? Bowie says, I don't care. It's mine. Bigger than a dictator. The world revolving around him. He's overdosing now. When he buys his cocaine, the real high-end stuff, made in labs by chemists, it's not a little vial anymore. It comes on a plate. Food? He calls it his coke and milk diet. Nothing solid, nothing to throw up. He reads about the occult, all the Aleister Crowley stuff, the mad darkness, books on Adolf Hitler, how the Nazis wanted to harness the powers of the Holy Grail. His old mate Iggy Pop has done too much of too much. He's in a psychiatric institute, strung out, burned up. And the first thing Bowie says when he goes to visit him, hey man, you want some blow? Lost in the madness, 
lost in the darkness. He's scared all the time. He hides all the knives in his LA house, thinks he's seen ghosts, thinks girls want to make devil babies with him, asks friends if they know any white witches who can save him, pulls all the blinds down because he looks out the window and thinks he sees a body fall to earth. And on the blinds, he scrawls occult symbols in pen and crayon. Fun? Glamour? There's something he says about it all years later. It was miserable. It's always miserable. He cleans up Bowie, keeps reinventing, keeps moving on, and he seems fine as the new century begins. Always the sharp cheekbones, but healthy now, always the cool hair. He tours, does festivals, headlines, Glastonbury, looking like a man a decade younger, a decade stronger. But it's changing again. Okay, we need to go for a quick ad break, but I promise we'll be back in a minute to tell you what happens next. Hello, I'm Katie Puckrick. I've got a podcast called Dot Com, the documentary series about the people of the internet. And I just want to let you know that series two is out now. It blasts open the door on Reddit, the front page of the internet. It's kooky. To me, Reddit is one of the last bastions of actual communities online. It's sinister. Reddit has really always prided itself on being the mirror that it holds up to society, right? That society has a lot of imperfections and messiness and destruction and violence, but there's so much good there as well. It's some of the biggest, most shocking stories of the century. I was raised in a fundamentalist Christian family. I feel like every time there's some big scandal going on, Reddit is 100% a contributor and an antagonist to it. Just search for .com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe now. This is an advertisement from BetterHelp Therapy Online. Hello, it's Tom Fordyce here. I'm one of the writers on Death of a Rockstar, and I do hope you're enjoying the series. I wanted to tell you about BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses in life, big and small. A lot of the people I wrote about for this series absolutely did. And as we know, if we keep those stresses bottled up, it can impact us negatively. That's where therapy can be great. Therapy isn't just for people who've experienced major trauma. It can help you understand the way your brain works and why you feel a particular way. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's all online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. With over 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Rockstar listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash rockstarpod. That's betterhelp.com slash rockstarpod. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. 
because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome back to Death of a Rockstar. This is the story of David Bowie. A concert in Prague, a run of big dates, each show two and a half hours long, because when you've got as many hits as Bowie, people want to hear them all. He's on stage and he's sweating, struggling to sing, more tired than he's ever been before. A couple of days later, he's in Germany, another festival, and this time it changes forever. A heart attack, only just making it through. A warning, no more touring now, no more public appearances. A year goes by, another one too. It's not just no new music, there's nothing. Everyone thinks he's retired, there's no interviews, no new looks, just a gap where he used to be, a silence. It's 2013 now, 10 years since he released any new music. Seven since that last gig. But with Bowie, there's always a plot twist, always a surprise. From nowhere, he's emailing members of his old touring band, asking if they want to work with him again, asking them to sign something first, a non-disclosure agreement. So no one else knows he's recording another album. No one knows he's back with his old producer, Tony Visconti. No expectations, no deadlines, no late nights, no more madness. Just Bowie, going into the studio early, leaving each day, bang on 6pm. The obsessive fans, the radio stations, the TV shows, none of them know what's coming. It just happens. The morning of January the 8th, 2013, his 66th birthday, the video for a new single pops up on YouTube. The song's suddenly there on iTunes. A line appears on his website. An album is ready. And the Bowie world, this space he's made, this community of outsiders and artists and obsessives is astonished, delighted, thrilled. It's a great song, where are we now? A new sound, but the old magic too. A chorus that creeps up on you and takes hold. There's lyrics about the Berlin days, references to the Brandenburg Gate, the Deschungle nightclub, Potsdamer Platz railway station. Look into the future, reflecting on the past. 44 years since his first hit, Space Oddity. His biggest single since Absolute Beginners, 25 years before. The album? That drops exactly two months later. It's called The Next Day because that's what he's celebrating now. He's hidden on the cover like he's been hiding for the last 10 years. There, but not there. And now the work is pouring out of him, the creativity. He's always wanted to do a play, so he writes scenes and songs. What's he calling it? Lazarus. Not just for the heart attack, but for the diagnosis that's followed. There's a dark stain on his x-rays, a malignant presence in his liver. The doctors say, we'll do everything we can. So he does the rounds of chemo and keeps writing. Goes to rehearsals when he can, makes notes in pencil, has a camera installed so he can watch from his apartment when he's too sick, too tired. 
Only the director and the writer are told what's happening. Don't tell anyone else, but I want you to know if I'm not there, why it is. It's around the play that Bowie does his last photo shoot. Slim fitting dark suit, black trilby, big grin, no hints for anyone who doesn't know. And it's at a premiere in November 2015 where the last public photo of him is taken. A dark jacket, a hat, black rounded glasses. No one guesses what's really going on. David's just tired, right? That same week, he hears from the doctors. The cancer's not in remission, it's spread. It's time to prepare. And as Bowie sits here now, in January 2016, the day after his 69th birthday, he thinks about these last few months. Wanting to keep the secret, not wanting his life to become some ghastly reality show. Walking slowly round his neighbourhood, holding a Greek newspaper so people think he's some tourist who just looks like a tired David Bowie. Not the real thing. Going back into the studio for one final record. Not telling the musicians, just letting the music flow. Letting their jazz styles mix with his riffs, leaving little clues and secrets and games for all those outsiders and artists and obsessives to discover. He thinks about the single, that's called Lazarus 2. About the lyrics he sings in this breathy, distant voice. Look up here, I'm in heaven. I've got scars that can't be seen. About the video he shot, where he's stepping back into a wooden cupboard that could be a coffin. Where he's writing at a desk with a skull placed beside him. He thinks about the video he shot for the song Black Star. A skeleton in an astronaut suit, like the Starman who's fallen to Earth. Like Major Tom when ground control can't reach him anymore. That's the name of the album too, Black Star. It's the name of a cancerous lesion if you look it up. It's an astronomical term too. It's what happens when a star collapses in on itself. It's a reference, if you want to find it, to an old Elvis song when the king of rock and roll sings, when a man sees his black star, he knows his time has come. Bowie sits there and holds the record. The cardboard sleeve has been designed and shaped so you can see the record inside. You can watch it getting scratched and old and damaged. You can see it degrade and fade. January 9th, lying in his bedroom, dark polished floor, pale brown rug, thinking about what he knows is coming, what he's leaving behind, where he's come from, all that he's lived through. This is how they all find out. Tony Visconti, the producer, the old friend, is asleep in a hotel room in Toronto. Around two in the morning, his phone starts buzzing and lighting up. Every second there's a new message, the thing he's been dreading for the past year. David Bowie has died. He lies there, somewhere between sleep and grief and peace. He thinks David always did what he wanted to do. He thinks he wanted to do it his way and he wanted to do it the best way. His death, like his life, a work of art. Now the news is out, it's everywhere. 
Every TV channel you turn on, every news show, every radio channel, it's everywhere. The shock. His first wife, Angie, she had no idea. She's in the celebrity Big Brother house when she finds out. I haven't seen him for so many years. I'm so very sad. So many of the musicians who've worked with him, Iggy Pop, Brian Eno, Nile Rogers, they don't even know he's been ill. Now they're waking up and he's gone. You hear the news and you can't think about anything else. The songs, the looks, what they did for you. I'm devastated. That's what Madonna puts on her social media. David Bowie changed the course of my life forever. Paul McCartney posts a picture of him and Bowie together on Instagram, writes, David was a great star. I treasure the moments we had together. NASA, they quote Space Oddity, say, the stars look very different today. Astronomers in Europe do something else. They create an asterism from a pattern of stars seen near Mars from Earth on the day of Bowie's death. The pattern? It's Aladdin Sane's lightning bolt. And the cool kids, the lost kids, the outsiders, the mums, the dads, the grannies? They hold him close. They don't let go. Blackstar goes to number one in the US albums chart. In the two years after his death, Bowie will sell more than five million records in the UK alone. And all of it makes sense because there's no one else like him. There are bands who couldn't exist without Bowie. Superstars who started because of him. People who've made careers by borrowing one tiny part of his look, his sound. A life built on reinvention, on wild creativity, about working out who you are now and what you want to say. So many ideas, so many melodies, finding the margins and living out there where others are scared and lonely. All those incarnations, all those characters, the final performance, the last great artistic move. And maybe the greatest pop star of them all in the end. This episode was written by Tom Fordyce and performed by me, Elroy Spoonface Powell, Spoon the Voice Guy. It was edited by Crawford Blair. For research, we read Starman by Paul Trinker. Backstage Passes, Life on the Wild Side with David Bowie by Angie Bowie. And David Buckley's Strange Fascination. We also watched Francis Watley's documentaries, The Last Five Years, as well as the film David Bowie, Sound and Vision. The music we use is from our partners BMG Production Music. If you want to listen to some Prime Bowie, there's so much to choose from. It's almost impossible to pick just three. We'll all have our own choices. But for now, we'll say Life on Mars, or how out there and beautiful it is. Sound and Vision from the Berlin days when it's pure art, but pure pop too. And then from near the end, where are we now? Every time you hear it, you'll think about him all over again. Or if you'd like another podcast to listen to, try our other episode about Mark Bolan. It should be below this one in your podcast app. This is going to be our last episode for a while. So here's a special thank you for listening and we'll see you soon.
Crowd Network, a place where you belong. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. <laughs> 